Go ahead and have a seat and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. So we're working on um, building our lives, right? We're looking, working on foundational choices for survival. And um, last week we started working on priority choices, uh, determining what comes first, what comes second, what comes third in our life, and, and so forth, working on on all of that. And let me remind you um, of our big picture, okay? The big picture that um, is over the top of last week and this week, and it was this. The big picture is that better choices, and by the way, aren't we all there? Aren't we all for making better choices today than we did tomorrow, yesterday, right? And hopefully we'll make better choices tomorrow than we did today. That's what we're going to be, that's what we're working on anyway, and working towards that. But here's the big picture. Better choices today require established priorities. Better choices today require established priorities. I love this picture. Here's a picture of Lori Rackinator at the airport, and notice what else on her table. She and Carl are on a trip, and so at the airport um, restaurant, they're working on prioritizing. You got God there with the Cholula sauce and everything else that they worked on, so hopefully that's what you've been working on all week, that that's what been your focus. Lord, help me prioritize my life. In particular, last week, it was help me to make my family my highest human priority. Hopefully, you've been getting up every morning and after saying to the Lord and declaring him to be the Lord over your life that particular day that you say something like, Lord, and help me today. I, I want to make my family my highest human priority today. Help me in the choices I make to put them at the authority position or the uh, priority position that they need to be. So today... Today's principal priority decision is this. I choose to be authentic. What we're going to be working on is we're working on um, closing the gap. And I'm, by saying that, I'm making an assumption that there is a gap in all of our lives. The gap between who we truly are and who we want everybody to think we are. Is it okay to say that? Am I offending anybody right now? Okay, it was, it's gonna get worse, so just hang on, okay? <laughs> there, there's a gap, right? There's a gap between who we really are and who we appear to be to everyone else. And that's what we're gonna be, so this message is to do this. The message is to close that gap, to help us make decisions in our lives to close that gap and to actually realize that there's a gap so that we can close it. Okay, that's what we're gonna be working on today. But let's talk about what authentic means. The word authentic means this, straight out of the dictionary, of undisputed origin. So things can be the real deal or not the real deal, okay? Authentic, genuine, um, of undisputed origin or not. And, and when it comes to people, which is what we're gonna be talking about today, our authenticity before God and before other people, when it comes to people, I think this is in your notes, this is the definition we're working on, the authoritative confirmation, you got that? The authoritative confirmation that people are what they claim to be or appear to be. That's what it means to be authentic. That there is some, an authoritative confirmation over your life so that people can trust that you're the real deal. I mean, don't you love living in a world of reality? Don't you hate, let me put it this way, don't you hate living in fuzzy land? Like you don't know really what's around you? Don't you love knowing that what is going on around you isn't some kind of weird fairy tale, like you're in some kind of weird dream state? 
that what you are seeing with your eyes is the real thing? Don't you love living in that reality instead of something else? In fact, do you remember what it was like when you, particularly when you were young? And I'm gonna be sharing out of some scars from my past uh, from when I was a child. I'm gonna be sharing some things with you that have just really messed me up in my adult life. Um, Do you remember how it felt like some of the first times that you had an awakening to the fact that what you thought was real was really fake? And how disappointing that is and how hurtful that is and how it scars you emotionally. Um, It took me me right back to um, my grandma's house. And... um, you know, you get to your grandma's house and she's always putting out the goods, right? She's always like laying it out there for you, you know? And so we get to her house and she's got this giant platter of fruit there. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. And I was hungry. And so I was just, I was buying out her fruit platter and there were some amazing looking grapes on the fruit platter. And so I went for the grapes only to find out that as I plucked one off, came off of some kind of weird plastic stem (laughs) and it was a rubber grape. And she had real fruit in the basket. How disappointing. I mean, any, any, any honey crisp apple lovers in the room? Who's, who's a, who's a honey crisp apple? Are you really, you really hungry? You really hungry for a, a luscious, Honey crisp apple. Here, here, there you go. Yeah, how disappointing is that? <laughs> no, come on. Just take a bite out of that baby and let, <laughs> let just you how how disappointing you know like you want you know what a honey crisp apple tastes like. You really want and you and it's it's a fake. How disappointing that is. Who wants that? What kind of grandma do I have? And never trust her again. Disappointed. Disappointed. Scarred me. Scarred me bad. Here's another thing that scarred me from my childhood. I lived in California. Grew up in California. Most of our vacations were in the mountains of California, the Sierra Nevadas, which is just an amazing place, okay? And we're walking through the pines and everything. And um, what's known out there, if you live out there, is, is that especially in the Pacific Northwest, in the mountains... Um, there's a creature that walks the woods. And we all know that creature is Bigfoot. In fact, there he is. There's a picture of him right there. (laughs) And so we know, I I grew up believing that there is Bigfoot in the woods. And we were searching because we were looking for his footprints. Every time we went in the woods, every time I was hunting, I was looking for his footprints because this is what his feet looked like. And we knew that because on the news broadcasters, on the, on the, you can, you can, everybody was talking about it. When we were on vacation, we would stop at these curio shops, these little shops where you could buy all kinds of Bigfoot paraphernalia and everything, you know, and, and you could buy, they had, look at this next picture. They have casts of his feet. This old man right here, he has real casts of Bigfoot's feet out in, I can't tell you how disappointed I was the day I found out that Bigfoot was fake. I know some of you are like, just now realizing. I thought Bigfoot was, they even made a movie about him. When I found out that there were people that actually took something and made a a footprint 
print and put it on a pole and they would actually go into the woods and they would stomp in the woods so that people like me would find these giant feet and know that there's a... How disappointed was I to find out that Bigfoot was a fake and all these people in my world that I trusted lying to me, scarred me, scarred me. And then I thought about this, I thought... No, forget, skip that, skip that, go to the next one. Yeah, skip, skip that. Don't, skip that one, skip, for sure, skip that one. Okay, here's one, here's what we could talk about without getting in trouble. (laughs) When I was a kid, you had wrestling where people wore big pads on the sides of their heads and wore some kind of weird looking jumpsuits and wrestled each other, and then you had professional wrestling. How disappointed was I to find out the professional wrestling wasn't. What? It's not funny. <laughs> Went to uh, Tom and Michelle Kearney's house. Uh, he's our family pastor and when we were interviewing them for the job, we went to their house in Tucson, Arizona. If you've ever been to Tucson, Arizona, you know that it's not like tons of rain in Tucson, Arizona. It's really dry there. And so we get to their house, and um, it's a beautiful home, but everything is dry. Everything's dead, you know, except cactuses, cactuses everywhere, you know, but everything, there's no green anywhere. It's all brown and gray and tan and everything, you know, and it has its own special beauty, but what was amazing is that I show up at the guy's house and I look into his backyard and I said, Tom, your backyard is amazing. And look at this picture of his backyard. Check that out in a land of dead. This dude has a green thumb and he's able to produce green grass in Tucson, Arizona. Look at this next picture. It's amazing. Look at that. Look at how beautiful that yard is. I'm perfectly manicured. I said, dude, how do you do that? He says, you go down to Lowe's and you buy it in the roll and you just roll it out onto the ground. (laughs) And I'm like, that is so cool, but how disappointing. You look out and you think it's real grass and it's not. It's fake. It's artificial. Never do you ever, I said to Tom, you never get to go sit on your back porch and like smell the, the smell of fresh cut grass and while you're drinking your iced tea and sit there and, and just admire your straight lines that you mowed because you never have to mow that stuff. Perfectly manicured. How disappointing. It's like playing, it's like playing football on AstroTurf. Who wants to do that? Very disappointing. You know what it really, I mean, we're goofing around, right? I'm not really scarred from all those things. I was disappointed how many of those things as I was growing up. That's just part of being, growing up too, you know, you realize things that people were telling you weren't true, lying to you your whole life. (laughs) But doesn't it really get bad when we're dealing with people? Um, that's when the disappointment really comes. Like uh, my best friend, whenever I was growing up, blood brothers, we literally cut our hands, shared our blood, swore allegiance to each other. I remember him swearing allegiance to me and to the club that we had because we had built a clubhouse and to the code 
only to find out he had been consorting with a he-man woman haters club down the street. And he was a spy in my own club. Of course, it was just the two of us, but I was super, dis- I was super disappointed in all of that. He, how much he let me down. You know, I thought he was my friend. I thought he was loyal. And no, he ended up being something totally different. Kind of like when you listen to a live interview. I mean, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you know, you have your favorite action hero, you know, and you see him in different kinds of movies and you just love him in the movies until you watch a live interview and you realize the dude's a total dweeb. And now you can't watch him anymore. You know, like it's like, He's been a faker the whole time. He's been, he's not who I thought he was. And I had such respect for him. And I had him on a pedestal up here only to find out you're not really like that. And how disappointed was I when I found all that out? <laughs> you guys, the looks on your faces are cracking me up right now. <laughs> how about when you're elected politicians who... Um, For real, though, I mean, they're on the campaign trail and they swear their commitment. They want to get your vote. They swear their commitment to serving the needs of the people. And once they get into office, they turn into something totally different and they support an agenda they never talked about and actually said that they would never do and never support. And yet there they go once they get into office. How disappointing is that when that happens? I hate it. When that happens, I hate when, and I could go on and on, and we're getting, getting more and more serious, I don't know if you noticed, but because um, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, this thing of um, are you authentic or are you not authentic? I'm fake versus the real deal. I hate fake. Wouldn't you agree to me, would you agree with me that fake is not acceptable? I mean, nobody wants that in their lives. You, you, what do you do with fake? You can't trust it, and especially in your relationships and especially in the family of God. How do we deal with fake? You can't deal with fake. It's like, it's like a dead end. Well, I want you to know that it's not acceptable with God either. He's not okay with the gap. That's what we're talking about. He's not okay with the gap between what I know to be true about my life and what I try to convince others that I am really like. He's not okay with that gap. God wants his people to be authentic. He wants his people to be sincere. He wants his people to be genuine. The real article, the real deal. He wants there to be an authoritative confirmation. Look at it again, that definition on your, on your notes. He wants there to be an authentic, authoritative confirmation that we are who we claim to be and appear to be. So what we're striving for today is the choice to be authentic, to be the real deal, so that what people see is what they really get. So here's the first principle that we're gonna be working on. Principle number one, losers try to impress everyone. Losers try to impress everyone. You can read it like this. If you're trying to impress everyone, you're a loser. Well, that's not very nice, Phil. I'm not, I didn't, it's not me, it's the word of God. I want to show you this. I want to show you from the word of God, from Jesus' lips himself, that losers are try to impress everyone. Matthew chapter six, verse one. Matthew chapter six, verse one. These are Jesus' words. This is the Sermon on the Mount. 
and he's talking about what it is to be a kingdom uh, participant, a, a kingdom person. How do we live? And this is what he says. Beware of practicing your righteousness. So what he's talking about, this beware, is like watch out. This is a big deal. Be on your guard, watch out. I don't know what your version says, but this one says beware in the ESV. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Okay, so what's he talking about with practicing your righteousness? It's basically this. He's he's talking about our good deeds. Beware, watch out, be on your guard about doing your good deeds before other people. These are the things that we do that reflect our heart for Christ and his word. This is what we're working on right now in this series. This is what we're actually, every Sunday we come together, we're working on this type of thing right here. We're working on um, the things that we do that reflect our obedience to all that he requires of us. Things like reading his word and memorizing the Bible. We're all working on that right now. Putting my family first, right? Worshiping with the family of God. Serving the body of Christ. Faithfully attending and investing in my life group so I can invest in other people. Loving my neighbors, right? Loving my enemies. These are the things that we are all working on. These are things that produce good works of righteousness, sharing the gospel with everything. The warning of Jesus is beware of practicing. Be very careful when you're practicing your righteousness before other people. And you might ask yourself the question. I'm asking the question, well, are we supposed to do our acts of righteousness before people or not? That's a question. Are we supposed to do our acts of righteousness before people or not? Or are we supposed to do them in secret? <laughs> I don't want to answer that because I feel like you're getting me a trap. You're setting a trap for me. Here's the deal, okay? We are supposed, we're not supposed to be secret Christians. We all agree? Okay, no secret Christians, right? And so how does this work and what is Jesus talking about when he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people? Jesus is the one who said, let your light shine before others. This is what he said. Okay, this is Mark uh, or Matthew chapter five, verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they will all see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're supposed to do our acts of righteousness before other people for them to see it. So what's the big warning here? Don't toot your own horn. That's very good. Don't boast. Look, let's just read it. Let's just read what he said. Don't beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, Phil, you could have just read that all at one time and we would have gotten it. Well, I just wanted to emphasize that, okay? Because we get weird about this in our service for the Lord, especially when it comes to giving. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. We're supposed to, that's what being salt and light is, okay? The, the light of the world, being light, is your good deeds. You're living out your good deeds. In fact, our good deeds are supposed to shine into the darkness of those around us, exposing, the Bible says, their wicked deeds. They live in darkness because their deeds are evil, but we're supposed to live our righteousness out before them. But there's this little weird trick, there's this little... Thing that clicks in our hearts and in our minds is called motivation. What is motivating your good deeds before men? And if your motivation is to do it so that they will be, you will be seen by them, well, I'm, they are going to see us, Phil. I know. But what Jesus is saying is if you're doing it to get their praise so that they'll be impressed with you, 
then your motivations, you're not living an authentic life. You're not the real deal. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. We absolutely do our works of righteousness in front of them, but if you're doing it for their praise, then you're a loser. Why do you say that, Phil? Because if you do that for those reasons, you lose the reward of your heavenly father. And this is not God's desire for his people. He wants to reward you. This is what hypocrites do. This is what fakers do. Look at verse two. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus is saying, don't be like these hypocrites in the synagogues. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees, the religious elite. These are the pastors of the day. These are, these are the big dogs in the church, okay, in the religious system. And he says, don't be like these hypocrites who comes time for giving to the needy in the temple area or in the streets. <laughs> and this is what they would do. They would sound the trumpet. <laughs> There you go. Now you're looking. Now you're looking. Why is he doing it? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing it? Everybody look here. Everybody look here. I'm about to give to the needy. You are, because I saw you sleeping right there. <laughs> I'm about to give to the needy. Here, you're needy. Yes, you need it. <laughs> are you watching? Are you watching me? Are you looking? I'm giving, I'm giving it away. I'm giving to the needy. I'm giving to the... Beautiful. <laughs> you act like that? You do it for the praise of men? Because what did they want? They wanted everybody to be like, and, and the thing is, people were like this back then. Ooh, check out, check out the, the Pharisees. Check them out. Look at their, look how much they're giving. What? In fact, if you want to do a study on this, do a study on this and, and read where Jesus says, um, you know what, this makes me so sick. If you, but while they're all blowing their horns and they're shouting, look at me, look at me, I'm giving, away, I'm giving away to the poor. Look at this little widow over here who's giving her two pennies that she has left. She's giving everything she has left. What drew the attention of Jesus Christ? Not these dudes. This draws his anger. The giving like this, the widow is what draws his attention. What he's saying is don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like these people, these Pharisees that you guys are all used to. Don't be like that. And if you're doing these things for the praise and recognition of others like the Pharisees, there you go. That's your reward. You're a loser because you lose out on all the things that God had for you in your good works, in your acts of righteousness. Those are now gone you just forfeited your heavenly reward for the praise of men. And I want to say to you that we're, you and I, we're invited into a higher form of living 
living for a higher eternal reward that comes from our Father in heaven. Look at verse three. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. What's he talking about? How can, there's no way you can do that. There's no way you can not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It's impossible for you. Even if you hide your right hand and you say, okay, right hand, you can't see what's going on now. Your right hand still is like, hey, stupid, I still know what you're doing, okay? Because I'm part of the body. You can't, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about what's in your heart. What is truly motivating you? You know, are we, so are we supposed to, like some people say, take that and say, so when you give money, you, you do it in secret. Don't ever let anybody know you give money. Some people are like, you should never take an offering. It's secret. Okay, what's different than giving money than doing good deeds, any other kind of good deeds? We're supposed to do our good deeds in front of men so that we are the light of the world and we're supposed to see. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think Jesus knows something about money than about serving somebody by mowing their lawn or something like that. There's something different about money, and so Jesus is talking about when you give to the needy, don't be like the hypocrites. He's talking about the hypocrites. He's like, show it off. Hide it. But I thought we were supposed to do our good good deeds in front of people. We are. But it's the heart of what's going on. It's what is in your heart. And if in your heart it is, when you're giving your money, if your heart is to impress everybody with how much you're giving or that you are giving, well, then you totally lose your reward in heaven. Whatever you got, whatever satisfaction you get from the people who are like, ooh, look at him or look at her, that's your reward. And you lose out on the reward from the Lord. Your father who sees you in secret, Jesus said, will reward you. Let me ask you this, okay? We're talking about motivation of the heart. You ready to dig a little deeper here? If you don't want to, I won't. I'll skip over it and we can go into something, something, something a lot easier if you want to. Um, is it okay to serve for a reward? Talking about motivation, motivation of the heart. It's not okay to, it's not okay to serve or to give to get the praise of men, to be seen by them, to get their praise? Um, Is it okay to serve for a reward? To do our good deeds for a reward? Is it okay to be motivated by a desire for God's reward, so I'm gonna do it because I want God to reward me? Yes or no? (laughs) I say an enthusiastic yes is what I say. And you, be, you may be like, well, that's because you're immature, Phil. And you, that's, what's, that's what you need. I don't need a reward from the Lord. You know, my salvation is my reward. I don't need anything from the Lord. To which I would say, Lord, can I have theirs? Can I have theirs? You know, if they don't want it, can I have their reward? I mean, listen, I just want to, I want to submit to you that um, the scriptures are filled with the promises of rewards for those who serve the Lord from their hearts and with the proper motives. This is why Jesus is talking about, you're gonna miss out on the rewards your father has for you. We need to be doing our deeds for the rewards of our father, not from the reward of the praise of everyone around us and whatever that reward is. The scriptures are full of these. 
God is actually holding out rewards as our motivation to serve him. He's not like he waits till we do something and then he goes, aha, now I'm gonna gonna give you something. No, before we do it, he says, if you will do this, I'll reward you. He holds it out as a motivation to us, just like little kids. And most of us are like little kids. But he holds out rewards like Matthew 5, 12. If you suffer persecution at the hands of those who hate you, then great is your reward in heaven. He went on to say in that same passage that if you love those who love you, what reward is there in that? I mean, what, there's nothing impressive about that. It's easy to love those who love you, but if you will love those who don't love you, and if you'll pray for those who persecute you and hate you, and you'll do good deeds to them, then great will your reward be in heaven. God will reward you for that. Luke 6, 38, if you give generously, it will be given back to you in great measure. And the measure you use will be used to give it back to you. Now, this is really tricky. Because what we want to do is we want to say, oh, the reward is if I give, then I get. So I'm going to give so I can get. Bam, you just lost it. You just missed it. But if you have this in your mind, the more I give, the more God will give to me so that I can give it away more so that he'll give me more, so that I can give it away more. And when, by the way, because I want that and that is my desire, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna use a measuring pot like this and I'm gonna measure it out like this, not just a little thimble, not just a little cup. I'm gonna get the biggest container I can and I'm gonna pour it out and be generous and the Lord is gonna give me and reward me with the same measure that I use. He's gonna reward me, but not so that I can have so much more, so that I can give it away again. If that's your motivation, There's a massive reward in here for that. 1 Corinthians 3.14, if you'll build your life on the proper foundation, God will reward your building. He'll bless your building efforts. That's what we're doing right now. 2 Timothy 4.8, everyone who eagerly awaits the return of Jesus will receive a crown of righteousness. If you get up every day and while you're on your knees, you say, Lord, I make you the Lord of my life today, even so come, Lord Jesus. And you anxiously wait the return of the Lord and you're every day, you're looking like Paul, looking like the Old Testament or the old writers of the New Testament that say it could be today, it could be today. And you're living like that, you'll be given a reward, the crown of righteousness. First Peter 5, 4, those who shepherd the flock of God faithfully and eagerly will receive a crown of glory Not sure what that is, but I want it. The crown of glory from Jesus himself that will never fade away. Revelation 2.10, those who are faithful unto death will receive a crown of life if you are martyred for the Lord. I want you to see Revelation 22.12. I'm gonna have it on the screen here. Uh, Behold, I am coming soon, the Lord Jesus says, and my reward is with me. How awesome is that? And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. What Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6 is that if you and I will do all these acts to get the praise of people, then that's the best you're gonna get, is the praise of people. And believe me, it's very disappointing, and it won't last. If you're living like this, then you're a hypocrite. You're a faker. You're a huge disappointment. You're just a player on a stage, hiding the real you, and the gap between you who you really are and who you're pretending to be is huge and God's not okay with that. In fact, you could say it like this. Principle number two on your notes is this. God hates hypocrisy. Well, those are pretty strong words, Phil, I know. But the scripture is clear all the way through scripture how much he hates it. In fact, the Bible even says that I would rather you be cold or hot, not 
a hypocrite, not a faker, not lukewarm, because I just want to spit you out of my mouth. God hates hypocrisy. Now, what we're going to do right now is very unusual, and we've never done this before. Um, but to illustrate this point, I want to play for you um, a theatrical retelling of Matthew chapter 23. So if you want to take your Bible and turn to Matthew 23, verse 13 through 36, this is Jesus. And forgive the quality, okay? This was done in, in 79, and it's out of the Old New Testament, uh, or the NIV version of the Bible. Um, but the reason I'm doing this and showing this, and it's lengthy, um, because I want you to hear from Jesus, they've done such an amazing job, I think, of capturing um, the heart of Jesus when it comes to hypocrisy and the hypocrisy of that day as he's confronting the Pharisees. Let's watch it together. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater? The gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater? The gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne. And by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides! You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes! You brood of vipers! How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so, upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth. All this will come upon this generation. Were you able to get a sense of the intense disdain that Jesus has for hypocrisy?
Jesus, who is the very God, who has the heart of God because he is God, shows us what he thinks through that passage of hypocrisy. And my hope in showing you that is that each one of us would look deep inside and ask the question, Lord, am I like that? You know, man looks on the outward appearance, right? That's why it's so tempting for us to clean up the outside so that everyone will think that we're something that we're not. But where does God see? He looks inside. God sees the heart. He knows what we're really like inside. And that's what Jesus is after. Clean up the inside and the outside will take care of itself. That's the key. That's what it means to be authentic. Sometimes it's hard in Christianity. Sometimes the enemy of authenticity is our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes if we really share with people what we really are and do as we're told in Scripture in Ephesians to confess your sin, or in James, to confess your sins one to another. We can't be real, Phil, because we'll be judged by the people around us. And so there's an enemy to some of this authenticity. But we can't let that stand in the way of what Jesus is after. If you clean up the inside, the outside will take care of itself. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and the actions come. Hypocrisy starts like just a little crack that will become, if left unchecked, a canyon of difference between what I pretend to be and what I truly am. And over and over you heard Jesus say, you hypocrites. I see what you're like on the inside. And outside you're like this, and oh, how people praise you, but I don't praise you. Because if they could see what I see, they would know that you're really just fakers, hypocrites. You're just players on a stage. And what Jesus wants from his followers is the narrowing of that gap so that what you see is what you get. That you and I become authentic, the real deal. Because hypocrisy is the enemy of authenticity. Hypocrisy is what we want to choose today to leave behind. We want to choose to make a principled priority decision to be authentic, to be the real deal so that people know that what they see is what they get. And what God knows is what he sees inside is reflected on the outside.